welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. This episode is brought to you by Zebedee, which welcomes you to a new era of monetization and user retention. Zebedee provides a plug-and-play API and SDK for seamless integration of instant, borderless, and low-fee payments using the Bitcoin Lightning Network. With fees less than one cent, Zebedee powers over 4,000 developers across sectors, processing millions of transactions monthly. You too can unlock the potential of borderless transactions to better engage and monetize your global user base, including the unbanked, and simplify the way you handle payments. Start for free at Zebedee.io, integrate with just a few steps, and monetize your experiences. Again, that's Zebedee.io, or check out the link in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Aaron Bush, and my guest today is none other than Gal Goldstein, CEO of Candivore. Now, if there's one type of game we all likely have played, it's Match 3. But if you think about it, even though Match 3 has generally gotten more polished over the years, it's mostly been exempt from major innovations, and many of the leading players have remained incumbents. However, what will make this conversation so interesting is that Gal and the Candyvore team with their game Match Masters are proving that innovating in the classic Match 3 formula is not only possible, but is perhaps also big business. So today, we'll be diving into all things Match Masters, how to innovate in the puzzle genre, and how Candyvore is going about scaling its game and business. Gal, there's so much here I'm excited to dig into with you. But first and foremost, welcome to the pod. Nice to be here. Thank you, Aaron. Awesome. Well, before we dive deep into Match Masters and Candyvore, uh, could you give us a quick rundown of your background in the games industry before making the leap to Candyvore? All right. This actually, this uh, story kind of like um, connects to Candyvore. Uh, I only had gaming experience in in two companies. I uh, was co-founder in both Phantomic and then Candyvore. Um, I I co-founded uh, Phantomic with. Um, uh, uh, three uh, close friends right now, um, um, and um, the, the the business there was um, that was uh, 2008 when when Phantomic was uh, founded, um, and we were mostly uh, around flash games. So um, this was kind of like our intro to gaming. Uh, we were all like passionate gamers before, but this was our first kind of like job in gaming. Uh, we were two two developers. Uh, um, I was I was uh, I was not a technical person. I was like uh, uh, free hand that, that could do like um, all kinds of like experimental projects. So um, we uh, um, our main business was basically to understand what the users who are coming to our flesh portal want to play, and then uh, how to monetize on that. But uh, even though we had like some really nice growth in Phantomic. Uh, Obviously, Flash was not like doing great, and the outlook was that it's gonna like die die pretty soon. Yeah. So we started like going into mobile, um, and we started like developing the activities of, of developing mobile games within the company. 
um, this is where uh, we um, came up with the idea um, for Matchmasters. So it's like Candy Crush was already like crushing it. Um, and, and, and Sewer, which is who's a, a co-founder in, in Candy Crush now, is, um, he came up with the idea. I was like, all right, Match 3 is like huge. And PVP was like, it was like um, getting like really um, a good traction with 8-Ball Pool and Golf Clash. And, and then um, I think uh, uh, Clash Royale. Uh, uh, came came about from Supercell, and we we're like, all right, this idea sounds like really good to begin with. Uh, let's 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 see uh, how we can make it into a fun game. And then basically, we we, we worked in Phantomic about a, a year on the game. We soft launched. We're like barely soft launched. I would say, like given the technical launch. Um, and then um, basically, our, our our bosses in Phantomic they wanted to. Uh, um, for us to like kill the project and move on, they, they weren't like very happy with the KPI. So we ended up uh, being fired, uh, and, <laughs> and then we uh, the entire team basically. And, and then we uh, um, we founded Candyboard. We negotiated a deal to buy the code and IP. Um, it was it was a pretty straightforward deal because the game had like basically like pretty shitty KPIs and um, also like no revenues. So um, and we eventually like got the deal through and then we found a candy board. This is like, this has been my life in the last five years, uh, CEO of candy board. Uh, we started the company, uh, uh, six co-founders and the seventh joined like right after a uh, very unusual, uh, uh, number of, of co-founders I know, but like, uh, uh, it has been like, um, uh, honestly like a real pleasure working with people that I have known for many, many years before. And we already kind of like developed like a really good, um chemistry and 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 um you know we know how to work with each other so uh and then that's it like i was uh again like six seven years with uh uh no even even more with phantomic and another five years with Kentwork. yeah wow um well i guess if you zoom forward five years that firing doesn't look so bad uh, uh considering what you what you all have have built um could we could you maybe just talk a bit more about i think when you uh started Candyvore. that was also your first time as ceo maybe maybe i'm wrong in that but could you maybe just talk a bit about no. um <laughs> That's like, what that meant taking that responsibility um at the time and kind of working with that founding team like what was it like in those days what were you doing uh maybe just uh talk a bit more about the the founding um, journey there so honestly like um well in Phantomic, I did like a number of, of different kind of roles that I think got me in, in terms of like expertise, at least like ready to be CEO. Uh, I was head of marketing at the time, head of product at the time, and and um, I worked in different products as well. Uh, so um, I think I think in that regard, I was I was like ready for the job. But like Candy Boy, the challenges when we started Candy Boy were like very different because. I was, first of all, I was like, I, I was reluctant to be CEO because uh, this, this was never my dream. Um, but um, I was the only one in the team that was not either a developer or an artist. So I was stuck with the role of management, basically. Um, but uh, as time um, passed, like at first, I had to do just a bit of everything, you know, finances, marketing, monetization, all stuff like that. Mostly what I had to do is be patient because 
development takes time. And every time we set out for another like version, another sprint, whatever you want to call it, you have a couple months where you basically sit and wait for the development team to do their job. And I found the hardest challenge as a CEO uh, at, at, at these stages was just like, um, be quiet. Don't, uh, um, don't confuse the guys with too many thoughts or ideas or, or like, what are we going to do after this version or after this version or like, uh, how are we going to get money? Uh, just like, let them do their job. And, and when they're done, this is when you get in and this is when you contribute, uh, with, it, with input or with, uh, with, uh, uh, putting in the right focus on the right areas. And eventually, like as, as time grew by, I, I realized that my job as a CEO was mostly as, as, as the job evolved and I had more people to do a lot of the other stuff that I used to do when, when the company started. It was just like to, to really focus on making good decisions for everyone, including HR decisions, include product decisions, including which investors we want in. Um, and, and what kind of, uh, um, kind of like, um, road, we, we plan ahead in terms of like, um, product, uh, in terms of like, um, uh, monetization, marketing, just like so many different ways to succeed. Uh, we just needed to find the kind of like the way that fits our personalities, our, our talent pool, um, and also the ecosystem in Israel, obviously. Right. Um, so I can understand the importance of, of patience. I think it took about four years of gameplay iterations and live testing for Matchmasters to reach um, a million monthly active users with over 5 million uh, matches played daily. Um, could you just walk me through that four-year period? Like, wh- like, what did that process of iteration look like? Um, I think, I think we're, um, uh, we, had, we had like so many things in the pipeline, so many ideas we had like throughout throughout like a uh, matchmaster's lifetime of how to make the game better. I think like usually like our motivation was always like how to make the game better, like as like in the, in the player perspective. So I feel like if, if you're looking for something that's like really long-term, like correlated with success, it's, it's, it's exactly that, like making the game better and making it more accessible to more people. So um, I feel like this has been like always the main focus. We always, always liked playing the game that we made. Uh, and we had a lot of people like friends and family who always, who also like play the game. So, um, this made it very easy for us to just think of cool features we would like to see in the game. So like, it was like, I think the first like big feature we added was like tournaments. And then, um, there was like a lot of like modifiers and game modes and the leagues. And then, um, uh, there was, all the innovations around like the teams and then the team events and all the social aspect of it. And then we, we felt like the game feels like you know, a little empty in terms of progress. So we added like albums with stickers. So people will have like much more rewarding experience of like, you know, getting stuff, you know, people, like people always like to, 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 um, to get stuff to feel that they're like rich in, in a certain like ecosystem. So, um, in a, in a game where there's like so many stuff that's like consumable, you want more stuff that's also like it stays. It's, it's like your trophy room. It's it's your it's it's like what you show off to other people. Uh, and then we had some like every once in a while like a breakthrough of something that was like not very like 
trivial at first. So I think the first time we added kind of like a solo game mode, we, we not did it. It was like very, very, uh, at first, like we obviously defined ourselves as like a PVP game, but then we, we figured out like, hmm, a single player challenge is still something you want, even if you have like, if you if if you you come in for the PvP experience, but every once in a while you just want to play at your own pace, um, where the challenge is either like easier or much harder, or or just has like a few quirks or something that's different. Um, and this was like a big innovation for us. And then like it, it would like pave the road for like Rumbles, which is another like multiplayer mode um, in which we felt like the big advantage over our regular PvP is that you don't have to wait to see the other player play. So obviously it has a lot of disadvantages because like there's no like interaction between the players like in the PvP, the regular PvP, but it does enable like a much more like uh, purified, quicker, more adrenaline, uh, um, like kind of like focused version uh, of the game. And since we already had like so many like content and boosts, like the boosters were like the I think the driver of like a lot of the innovation in the game because like we kept wanting to like innovate new game mechanics and we found the boosters are like kind of like the best way to introduce them. Um, so this also like escalated over the time, like with like, we, we kept like pushing that envelope, like pushing out like cooler and more um, innovative boosters basically. Um, yeah. So we just, and it's, like, we just wanted to make the game more fun and more fun. And that this, that, that's what it ended up to be. Yeah, that's that's fantastic context, um, and you can see it, <laughs> you can feel it when you when you play the game today. Um, I, I'm curious. I mean, four years of, of iterating to get to that point is still quite a long period of time, and I'm curious how you, as a as a CEO, or how the team even felt um, during that time. Uh, like, were there ever periods of doubt? Uh, were there ever you know kind of slumps where you, as a leader, kind of have to? Uh, you know, just kind of like redirect the ship or boost everyone's spirits. Like, how do you, um, did you, what did you learn about managing the expectations of a team that takes uh, such a long time to kind of get to where you want to go? Um, honestly, I, I don't think of it as like a road that like starts at zero and then ends at four years. Like this was not the, the mindset at all. I think kind of like it, it's, it's like the, the, the first like real milestone uh, that was a bit like stressful to get to and, and more challenging for me as a CEO was the very, very first milestone where like you're, you're just like you set your sights onto a place where you, you make enough money to survive as a company. And so like, this is, this is the first milestone. And until that point where you start investing in marketing, you don't really know how your returns are going to look like. You don't really know how your cohorts are going to look like. Um, all you have is some other games, you know, KPIs or matrices, if you're lucky. Um, and I, for me, I feel like no game looks the same in terms of cohorts. I've, like, since then, I've, I've had a chance to look at some other, you know, games um, and, and the data. So, like, Meshmaster's data was, like, always a bit, like, um, different, like every other game, honestly. But, like, we didn't have, like, really good KPIs for the first, like, month, two, three. And then, but then we hit a stride and, and players, like, really stay committed to the game for a long time. Um, and and this this is kind of like what made the first few months like stressful because the KPIs did not look great. But I already saw that like there is a silver lining and that the players like really look good in the long term. So I was like, 
my focus was convincing the team and the investors that, look, if we keep investing in marketing, you see the revenues build up. This is looking good. This is this. Eventually, we'll see some profits in in this. And if we stay in the long run, and and then after we passed this first milestone, where everybody was like, "Is this company is really here to stay or not?" Um, once that was done, it was very easy because again, this is like for me, any game is always work in progress as long as the team wants it to be. And I feel like for every game, you can keep coming up with ideas of how to make it better. It could be by adding new features. It could be by getting inspired from new other games, new features. And it could also be just like by improving the quality of the game. So every, every, every couple of years, we do like a big kind of like facelift for like, you know, uh, graphics, uh, effects, sounds. Um, and I feel like, you know, this is, this is what game as a service leads you to is to like always try to improve the service that you provide, uh, make it like more extensive and more inclusive where like more audiences and more types of players. And also um, improving on like for, for like for your veteran players, keep like pushing out new content, just like, you know, kind of like the bread and butter of like, you know, you have a successful TV show and every season, you need to like come up with new content and, 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 and new stuff. You don't just like, right. Four seasons. That's enough. Um, and I feel like, you know, like for TV shows, usually it's, it's, it's very hard to produce new content over time because, uh, you have actors who want more and more money every season and, and getting all the contracts done. It like becomes a nightmare. So eventually, and eventually they get bored or old or whatever. And then you just can't do anymore. But if you look at like kind of like TV shows that lasted for a very, very long time, usually like you get like animation shows like Simpsons or, or South Park that like, again, this is much easier. Like the, the, the characters don't get older. You don't have to change everything. You have like a lot of freedom to do stuff. Uh, so I feel like games, if you look at Candy Crush, you know, they, they, they may be a bit more careful than us about adding new features. And we're like, we're a smaller company, so we, we take more risks. And, and it's fun. I, I love this like kind of like, um, mentality that we're like very, very fast at like coming up with an idea and then executing it. But even like the likes of Candy Crush or the, like the older games, they still innovate and they still add new content and push new stuff. Uh, and this is kind of like the journey that every mobile game goes through. This did not stop after four years. I think like the, the version that we're about to release in a couple months is going to be like again like a very big version for us like we get excited every time like three four times a year we release like a big version and everybody gets like super excited because there's always more stuff in the pipeline and there's a lot of stuff that we feel like oh damn i wish we could push this version but i have to wait for next version or the one after that so like we we still have like a, a huge pipeline full of ideas um and and this is kind of like our job right now is, is to prioritize which we are like really excited about. It has to happen now and which, ha which can wait for like the next version. Awesome. That's all really good context. And I'm excited to see <laughs> what the, what the new version um, entails. So when, when Novik deconstructed Matchmasters, one thing we noted was that the game's combination of multiplayer, a unique uh, booster-driven economy and trophy competition, it makes Matchmasters a unique player experience, just a refreshing new type of twist um, on the world 
of match three. And so for those who haven't played or maybe even those who have, could you just break down like what what are like these new features that match masters brings to the genre and why they've been able to resonate um, so much and, and turn this game into a big success. Like kind of like the first, when we first started with match masters, like the, the, the idea at first was just, um, well, match three PVP, right? Like we, we liked uh, the concept. We felt like all right, we need to just like figure out how it works. So, at first, we came out with the basic rule set of like you know a couple a couple moves each, and like every round like ends after the two players play, and after a few rounds, whoever has the most score wins the game. But this was a bit limited, um, both in terms of of, of user experience, uh, the game felt a bit flat, and also in terms of monetization, um, there was this was. Um, we, we had to figure out like a business model because usually in match three games, what they sell you is like when you're about to win a level, but you're not quite there, you can get like an extra move, extra whatever booster or something that will help you win the, the level. Um, but it really can't work in a PvP game. I can't be just like about to lose and then just like buy my way out. This, this, does not make any sense for like, like the, <laughs> the competitive experience, right? right? So we had to figure out something that that would be like a bit different. Uh, and honestly, our first our first try to create some sort of like monetization uh, uh, model was was kind of like uh, inspired by April Pool and Golf Clash when they had kind of like a, a simple betting system on a game. Um, but when we when we pushed it on Match Masters, we felt like this does not feel like a betting game. Like uh, it's not pool, it's not golf, and um, and it also like doesn't feel fun to gamble on something that's like your progress or your meta, which is like kind of like how you measure yourself in, in these type of games. So we we kind of like switch the coin system into a trophy system, so you have like uh, something to fight over, and then we decided that the boosters are a much more natural mechanic. Uh, for like creating some sort of like business model around it. And at first we weren't a hundred percent comfortable with, with one player having like a bit of an advantage over the other player. But it's the, the more like I thought about it, like, uh, when, when I, when I looked at, honestly, like when I, when I think about like court, like, um, examples of match masters in the real world, I, I usually come to sports and I feel like, you know, in every type of sport right now in the world, there's always uh, like a top dog and underdog, right? And and this kind of like dynamic is usually fun. You know, it's it's not it's not a bug; it's a feature because people like if 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 all the games were like exactly equal, then it would be like pretty boring. It's it's much more fun when sometimes there's like a bit of, um, of a gap between the players, and it's it's fun because like it's 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 sometimes fun to be the player with the advantage. But it's also really nice to every once in a while pull an upset as the underdog. Um, so at first we designed like uh, like a few boosters, kind of like to, to 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 see how how it works. Um, and all the boosters were like pretty simple. Um, there were like no like carry on from like turn to turn or from round to round or or, or any anything too complicated. Um, and we saw like the basic works really well. So. As long as the gap is not too big between the top, between the, the favorite and the underdog, uh, 
this this was like really great experience and also like good in monetization. So um, I feel like once we had this this kind of like thing going, uh, innovating over that like and creating like more and more elaborate boosters was was um, was just like pretty straightforward. Sometimes it takes a bit more effort until you find something that really feel us like really cool and like add something new to the game. But eventually you get to it um, if you try hard enough. Um, and again, like if, if you look on sports, you know, you have like, uh, you know, top teams in the NBA or the NFL, obviously when they, they meet like some of the, the, the lower teams, the lower ranked teams, um, like you have, you, you know, that the top team is like 80% to win. And like, we looked at this kind of like as, um, um, you know, kind of like common sense or, or a way to compare ourselves. So like if, if, if the, if the underdog has, at least like, I don't know, 20% chance to win, 25% chance to win. This is an interesting game still, you know? If the underdog has like 3% chance to win, this is this is now no longer a sport and this is no, like, doesn't have a competitive value. So we, we always like try to balance the boosters between versions so that like some boosters are naturally like a bit, a bit stronger uh, and, and but, but there's still like chance for the underdog. So this is kind of like a, a this has been like um, um, kind of like a rule that we we set to ourselves that like we always want to keep the game competitive, um, and and sometimes like we we overshoot like we make a booster like too strong by accident because obviously like when we when we try it out there's a couple hundred players maybe testing out a new booster, but when it reaches our community and there's like you know like a million players playing it, eventually like some of them may find like an unexpected way to exploit this, this right. booster, especially like our game, our game has become so complicated because there's like so many different game modes and some boosters are really, really strong in one game mode, but it really suck in other game modes. So, um, eventually we, we have to like, uh, issue like a lot of hot fixes or even like server side fixes to like balance out boosters that go like way too strong or, or otherwise like too weak in some modes or disappointing or so it's like, it's, it's always a work in progress. This is why, like, again, I like two or three years, four years from now, I'm sure like, uh, or I'm pretty sure never be, can never be sure about the future, but like pretty sure we'll have like still a lot of work to do, uh, many, many years to come. Right. Well, that's, that's all super interesting context that if you, um, change uh, basically match three from single player to multiplayer with all these different modes how it, it it just means you have to rethink the monetization you have to rethink all the different different pieces so it's a lot to figure out um i i'm curious why why do you think the pvp aspect of match three is something that other teams um out there haven't prioritized or figured out is it is it because it's much harder than it looks? And, you know, you took all these iterations of trying all these new things for all the, all the different um, mechanics monetization to get to a point that is successful, or is there more at play there? Um, I think it's a combination of, of, of a few things. So I think, first of all, um, for any of the big match three games that are like very popular now, I think in order to become like good, successful PVP games, they will need to like, really put in a lot of work in changing a ton of things in the game. So this is not something that's um, um, you know, unreasonable to do, but it's, it's very, very defocusing. 
And I feel like, you know, they, they have a game that makes like $50 million a month. For them, it looks like much, much easier to improve the monetization by 10% instead of like creating like a whole different ecosystem of like what you buy and what you do and how you play and rewriting the game engine. And it's just, it's just a very, 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 um, you know, heavy duty work. And, and again, and there's a good chance you fail because you don't have a chance, like you don't have like the experience in PVP, your player base doesn't necessarily want PVP. Um, so, and for, for new teams trying to create a PVP experience, um, I think, I think it's definitely possible to, uh, to, to create it. And I think there's been like a lot of games trying to do it. Like when I, when I search match three PVP now, I see like really like a bunch of games, like it used to be like, we were the only one for a long time, but then like we got a bit higher profile. People saw that we're, we're doing well. So a bunch of companies or small time studios start like, all right, let's do the same as they do. I think it takes, um, with every PvP game, it takes a lot of patience. And I think a lot of people are just like looking for a quick win. So they want a game that virally gets a lot of or, like organic users. Uh, the, the early KPIs are really good. And, and Match Masters was never anything. So we never had like a, an easy win. We had to work very hard and invest a lot of money in user acquisition throughout the entire growth period of Match Masters. Uh, and we had to work really hard to iterate and innovate and get to KPIs, which allow us to scale more and more and more. So I feel like um, there there are quicker wins. What I do like is, is, about PvP from business perspective um, is that because you know, the players play against each other, you have almost an endless amount of content. Right. Once you have like a good user base, so you don't have to create more and more levels all the times. There's no, there's no, none of this like continuous grind to like add like tons and tons and tons of content. We do have to add content every once in a while with a booster or game mode, but, but the, 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 the content kind of like requirements are, are way less. And this allows us to keep the company very small and, and, um, and, and agile. Um, and this kind of adds to our ability to stay very flexible, um, innovative, keep adding new features because we don't have this like excruciating kind of like effort to always add more and more and more content. Um, so anyways, these are the pros and cons of PVP, right? Like it's, it's, it takes a while until you build an ecosystem that works. But once you have this, then the players can like really engage with each other. And that means content. Is, is much less priority. Yeah, the lower content need, and I guess the higher replayability of the content you have isn't something that I immediately thought about, but that is so true and a unique um, competitive advantage um, against against others. Um, I want to talk more about um, Candyvore as a company and how you've gone about scaling and raising money and all of those things. Um, but before I do that, I'm just curious to get your, um, your general forward-looking view on the match three um, genre, like, do you think it's, you know, ripe to continue to be more broadly disrupted by new ideas, or you know, you know, uh, games like Match Masters continuing to to scale up and take more market share, or um, do you think the incumbents will hold their ground? Like, how how do you see the Match Three field playing out over the next few years? Well, first of all, I'm I'm, I'm very happy with the success of Match Masters and Candy Board, but I don't think. We're, we're like a disruption in the match three. We're, I think 
match three um, is is at a pretty mature stage right now. So um, it's not at a breakneck speed uh, that it once was. Um, but there's still growth. There's still new players to the mechanic. There's still new new people with phones. You know, so um, I definitely think there's like still room to innovate and to address more um, uh, specific. Um, you know. I wouldn't say niche, but uh, like more groups of audiences that like kind of like have um, a different flavor or want something a bit different. So I think, you know, obviously Candy Crush like started this big kind of like movement. Um, But then, you know, Playrix came and and added a bunch of elements to Match 3 and and, and Royal Match like recently like exploded. Um, So... I, I definitely think match three genres keeps evolving, but I, I'm, I'm not expecting like big disruptions. And I do expect it to keep growing though. I think, I think um, there's um, a lot of things about the match three mechanic that make it like a really, really good game in general. So I feel like, you know, a good game uh, in order to be attractive and fun, uh, it needs to be deep in terms of skill needs to be um, interesting and, and, and fun to learn and to get better. And it needs to have like a good balance of skill and luck in every specific game. So if you look at sports again, you look at um, sports that are more popular and sports that are less popular. So um, you have like uh, less popular sports or like, you know, chess or, or, or running a hundred meter race or because like, it's very deterministic. Like the, the player who's better will almost always win, even if they're just like slightly better than the next guy. Um, there's not a lot of surprise or underdog experience there. Um, and if you look at like really successful sports, like uh, either American football or, or European football, um, and these games are like usually um, decided based on, you know, like a couple of like, you know, dramatic events during the entire night, like a touchdown or a goal or something like that. Um, these are games that are more popular even than basketball because basketball is like, it is more deterministic and, and the better team will likely win because it's a, it's a best of seven series. And there's so many small events in the game that contribute to the final score that like, if you are better, there is much, much more chances of you winning instead of like, mm, got unlucky and lost, you know? So I think players like audiences, don't like it as much because it's kind of strips out like the, the element that everybody wants. Everybody wants to come into a game thinking their side can win. Um, so I feel like, like match three is, is like right there. Cause like I, I see like experienced, like match three match masters players and they, they are like incredibly good. So like no one at the company is as good as, as, as the top players, obviously. And, and, and then there's like beyond the top, I don't know, 10,000 players, the, the top thousand and the top hundred. And it, it escalates to the point where like, I, I can't believe how good they are, but still at any given game, they can have like a bad streak of luck and they can lose. And I feel like this type of element is like very, very crucial to, to the fact that it's, it's like a really, really fun mechanic. That's a great answer. Um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of truth and, um, you know, mo- more moving parts create more chaos, which creates, you know, more more fun and opportunity. 
Um, so, so thanks for sharing that perspective. Um, let's go ahead and talk about the, the business side of things for a little bit. Um, and we'll get to your most recent um, funding and, and uh, a later question. But in 2021, 2022, um, that era, Candyvore raised uh, combined $22 million in a Series B and C. Um, could you kind of maybe, you know, take the time machine back and kind of tell us how you thought through fundraising at the time? How did Candyvore go about deploying capital? Previously, you mentioned um, how, you know, none of the the wins came easy. So how did you like go about thinking about best using what you raised to, you know, maximize um, your teams and your game success? Honestly, it was, it was always like pretty straightforward. Um, we started the first, the first year, uh, or even a couple years with, uh, seed money, uh, from, from friends and family. Um, so this lasted us, um, like first, so the first milestone was, um, getting to a point where we can pay our salaries and afford a bit of user acquisition. And then every, 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 um, every free money we had, free income went into more user acquisition because we saw unit economics look good. We're profitable anyway. We just need to scale more and more. And then eventually, um, we needed like someone with bigger pockets. Um, if we wanted to, uh, just to grow faster because we were, we were growing fast with, with the, with, with the family and friends money. But, um, at that point, like the biggest issue was we were really happy with being friends and family. Like we didn't want to like add any kind of like partner that would, um, uh, risk that dynamic that we had. Like there was like really good vibes and, and, and very, um, focused on, on long-term growth. And then, um, like it was, is like pure luck that, uh, uh, Aitan from big games, um, stepped in because, um, I was, I wasn't looking for, for raising any more money. Uh, I was happy with growing a bit slower and, and, and without new partners, but Aitan is, is such a great guy. And, and eventually I, I found out that, um, one of our earlier investors, is, is one of his best friends that was that was like I think what kind of like sealed the deal for us because like there was no more trust issues. I got like really like the best references for character for V games and for Ethan. So uh, once once that happened, I was like, all right, he said like take it, take ten million dollars here, and um and and let's see what you can do. And then eventually like the, the friends and family added another couple million, and and once once vegans within and we accelerated our growth with, with the extra capital, which all went obviously to user acquisition because we saw, you know, ROI, we had like hundreds of percentage, like big margins. So, um, just put, push all of it into getting like basically new users. Um, and then when, when we started finishing this money, we figured, yeah, we can, we can accelerate further with more money. So vegans, uh, pushed in another, $10 million. Uh, that was the 20, the 22. That was like, basically, again, we, 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 what we cared about basically is that the ROI on, on, on the user acquisition looks great and then scaling it as much as we can, as fast as we can. And then basically after that, um, 
V Games, V Games is 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 great, but they they couldn't invest a hundred million dollars, and we wanted to scale it even further. So, at that point, we were actually like starting to think of like maybe adding a new partner. Um, and then and then we uh, before we even got to like dynamics of like yeah, let's let's talk to a bunch of investors and, and prepare like decks and stuff like that. Uh, uh, we got an intro to Aveli. Um, and, and really, I think like it was a, like a really nice click. It was like really good chemistry. And that's again, that, that was like, um, for me, uh, the most important part, like we didn't have like any, a, a, any arguments or even negotiations to think about like valuations or, or exactly how much money we're going to raise. It was mostly by like us, like getting to know each other over, like it, eventually the negotiations took a while, but. It was mostly us getting to know each other and, and building the trust because for me, the biggest risk, uh, to the company is, is, is changing the dynamic in a way that people all of a sudden don't work as a team and everybody has their own sides. So, um, it took, it took a bit of a time until I think we, we all got comfortable, but now I think we couldn't be happier. Honestly, like this, this is like, um, a really, really strong team from the Valley and, um, and, and honestly, like it's it's a pleasure working with them. Um, and you know, this is you want you want a partner who helps you out in the sense that they add more value and also give you confidence to follow kind of like what you're doing and keep doing what you're doing. So I think they're they're they bring both of these values in. They like uh, very supportive and and very like like give, give, giving um, gives it like the credit. Uh, that that like, uh, that we earned by like getting the company uh, to this point, but they're also like help, helping us like opening doors that were like harder for us to open before. Um, new uh, new expertise, uh, um, new new consultants, new, new people who are like deep into the numbers and have also seen uh, uh, numbers of many many other different success stories. Um, so. This is kind of like what led us to where we are. Like always it's the hunger for like growing faster uh, and, and investing more money in user acquisition. I feel like organic installs these days are, are like like positive K factors, like a thing of the past. It like happens like once in a blue moon. So if you want people to actually try your game, you have to put it in their face, uh, like show their, their game, your game. And there's like just like so many other games in the store and a bunch of them are high quality. So they will only give a try to, 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 to someone who really like brings it to their attention. So this, I think is kind of like, this has changed what kind of games can succeed in today's world. It has to be a game that can support user acquisition because the ROI has to be like high. Uh, and luckily we got optimized enough so the ROI can be high enough and we can sustain bigger and bigger amounts of user acquisition. And we can scale it with like with money, and basically, it's it's almost like you know investing in in real estate. You you put you put in a lot of money into like a cohort of user, and then you start like collecting over a very long period of time. Uh, that's all a great answer. Um, I have a couple of quick follow ups um, about the the latest round that you raised. I mean, one <laughs> one hundred million is a lot of money, um, um, and congrats for. Um, for for being able to, to raise that much and, and set your company up for like a new tier of success, um, that's exciting. 
a uh, simple question is like, uh, you know, like where is that money going? Is most of it still going to customer acquisition or how are you thinking about scaling your team? And then my second question um, around this is just sort of why Haveli? I think they're more private equity um, <clears throat> uh, bent. And so why, why did that lens appeal to you as a business? Um, all right. First, the first question, um, the team, first of all, we're a very small team. We're like still around 70, even under 70. So, um, um, cost of, 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 of salaries or, or, or HR are still a small fraction of the, of the company's revenues. Um, uh, most, most of the expenses still go to user acquisition. And this is because adding more people to the company at this point, like it, it was like, Adding more people to the company was never about like, like it costing more money. Like this was never like a, because this was always like after the very, very first few months or a year, it has always been like not a big deal, the salaries part. But as a CEO and also as founders, we always found uh, that companies with a lot of people, companies that like um, become bloated. It's like, it's, it's kind of like they lose twice because like all of a sudden the salaries do become a, a big deal, but also like decision-making starts deteriorating. Once people like are mostly concerned about like getting a promotion to be a manager and then a manager of the manager. And then like when you have like a lot of levels of management that you can go through, like it's always like um, tempting to try to, uh, get promoted by, you know, doing what politicians do, uh, which is like, you know, taking credit for stuff and blaming other people for failure. So, um, I feel like once this happens, the company starts making less like worse decisions. And this like really hurts the company in the long run. So we always were very, very careful in, in the sense that like every time we added a new employee with like, is this necessary? Cause if it's not necessary, if the value is just like very small and insignificant, there's a big cost, not the salary, but the big cost of the company culture, having like all of a sudden, like a few hundred employees and all of a sudden people don't really know each other. And all of a sudden people can just feel like mm, I can just like not do my job and nobody would notice because there's so many people here. Um, so this, this, this is like for us, um, kind of like, the reason why we never grew in terms of HR very aggressively and also why we always like, uh, thought it would be like much easier to scale by actually acquiring users instead of just bringing more employees. Um, and the reason basically why we went, uh, with, with private equity instead of like a growth fund is because we honestly, like we're very happy with where the company is right now. And we feel like, we can become very, very profitable at, um, at any moment just by deciding to lower growth, uh, by investing less in user acquisition, basically. So like, we, if we, if we pull, if, if we, uh, can like, uh, pull the lever, we can go from what a hundred to, uh, to, to, to 10 in, in like, um, no, it's a bad number of reference, but anyways, it's just like lower user acquisition by 90% and then become like super, super profitable. And this was, I think because the founders, uh, we really love the company and we want to stay here long term. We're never in a rush to sell the company to a big company. Uh, we like our end game are more like my desired end game 
was to just like become a well-established gaming company that pays out dividends and and try to like create new brands, new new gaming experiences. But um, this is why like a private equity situation was like much more in line and with what we want to do. We don't want like a partner that like is like all right, it's been three four years, let's sell it for like times five on what we invested because otherwise this this has not been a good investment for us, you know, which is kind of like the mindset of like growth investors. Um, private equity, I feel like they want like good returns every year. Um, and in that, like, I think like the best way to like make sure or like, you know, optimize the chances of like less friction between the owners of the companies. If, if everybody has the same kind of like long-term view of what's a success, um, so in that regard, I think I, 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 when I met with, uh, with a Valley CEO and, and I told him like, look, like, what do you think of the, the fact that we want to like start like paying dividends, like maybe next year or something like, is that a problem for you? Like, and he's like, is that a problem for me? It was like, he's like, no, this is amazing. Like, uh, like this is the, the, the end game that they want. So, um, I think at that point I realized this is. If we stray at a good deal and we find the best kind of like uh, business terms that fit everybody's uh, needs, um, then Avella will be like a, a great partner for us looking forward. And I'm, I'm very excited towards becoming like also like a profitable version, uh, a profitable sorry company, because again, like you you do user acquisition until you f- you feel like right, everybody who's really like likely to like the game has already seen ads of this game. And either decided to download it or not, but like we're not at this point yet. But I think we're we'll, we will get there within a year or two and another couple of hundred million dollars we spend with our acquisition. So eventually we'll stop like investing so much in, in acquiring new users, and we'll just like start it like uh, just uh, becoming a profitable company, which is great. Honestly, um, that's a great answer. And it's really refreshing, too, um, because I feel like, you know, most like I feel like 99% of games teams that raise venture money, um, most of them are are pretty, pretty focused on like a very particular type of exit or outcome. And for you to not even necessarily necessarily be focusing on an exit, um, per se, and kind of being dedicated more to a long term view, I think that's inspiring. And honestly, I think Many more games teams should maybe take a look at, at what you're doing and see if something like that um, could make sense for them. If they're also just like a great, a great lean founder driven um, team with big long term aspirations. I think that's that's really um, that's really exciting. Um, you you did say how you're you know, you've been keeping the team relatively lean and putting most of your investment in, in the UA front. Uh, but even so, you know, growing from seven founders to 70 plus employees um, still is, you know, pretty meaningful growth. And the company, I imagine, you know, it operates differently. Your systems are different. How you communicate is different. Um, like, what have you learned in building up a company culture here and in scaling people? Just as a CEO, what have been some of your biggest learnings or takeaways the past um, few years? It's a complicated question. First, first, I need to uh, to um, to say that um, I'm a very like um, like we have a a bit of an unusual, I think, organization structure because I'm I'm the CEO, uh, but uh, I have a very very active COO who's also a co-founder, 
Uh, he's, he's the seventh co-founder who joined like a bit in a delay uh, because at first we didn't really need a COO. But uh, eventually, right. like I, I, I realized that I'm, I'm much more effective when I'm a bit hands off and I can uh, do um, a bit more strategizing and just like dive into the details when I when when I'm needed. But but Ilya like really completes me as as like like the kind of like in office CEO person that like everybody comes to and, and like he helps like build the culture uh, around the teams. I think basically like it's it's um it's been about first of all hiring people who are um a good fit for our, our company DNA and how we kind of like, like to operate, which is very, like very intuitively small teams. And, and we like people who are very independent. So we definitely like, we needed to hire like the type of people that would fit in this kind of organization. Uh, people who really like structured stuff and processes will find it hard to work in Candy Um and still do. Uh, so, uh, even though we grew as a company and we do definitely have more processes uh, and, and a bit more structure, uh, we still people who come from like a bigger company with like a company culture that's very structured. will find it very, um, I would say like disorienting or a bit like, so it's first of all about hiring the right people. Um, and then it's about um, being very flexible to, to realize that things change over time. So as you said, 70 to seven, seven to 70 is, is, it is a big difference. Uh, and you start, you start out by like having a certain idea about how, how things should work. Um, the biggest challenge is to like realize, all right, we're 20 now. Yeah. We need to coordinate a bit def- like better because, because like all of a sudden things like fall between the chairs. Um, and all of a sudden people feel like a bit left out of some decisions and this is always work in progress. I think, um, I think it's easier with a smaller company, but it's still work in progress. And I do it with, uh, with Ilya and with uh, some other, uh, big team leaders, uh, in the company. Um, and we constantly like try to pay attention and see if we need to do some changes. Um, it could be like in the development team, but mostly like, uh, I feel like the business units are the ones that are usually growing faster when the game hits kind of like production level and like starts getting a lot of users. So, you know, social support, uh, you know, live ops, monetization, marketing, it's like teams that always, when, when, when the game grows, they, they just need more people. Um, and, and again, when more people uh, join in, um, you, you need to pit like the, the nuance changes to make it work. Um, but I, I can't say like we, we got it like, yeah, it's, it's all figured out. It's like, it's always work in progress. And it's just like, of course, it's my responsibility to remind myself that it's, it's always work in progress. And what worked for us like a year ago is not necessarily the best tactic or strategy now. Nice. Well, always a work in progress. Um, I guess uh, you're about six years in um, to Candy for at this point. Uh, really, the final question for me is, you know, I guess if we take another six years into the future, uh, what do you think Candy for looks like then? Like, what what are the main differences uh, you see compared to today? Um, I think like vision 
our vision for the future is, is basically to have uh, three or four uh, successful titles. Uh, each one of them in terms of like size and HR should should be about the same as, as Matchmasters today. Maybe a bit bigger, a bit bigger, maybe up, up to 100, 100 uh, people. Uh, I think that would be like max size for like a, kind of like a game team. Um, but uh, I do feel like it's, it's very healthy for a company to have more than one product. Obviously, we're uh, working on new products now, um, but we're still everything is very like early stage right now. So um, it, this, this is definitely like our, our, our biggest challenge right now is to reproduce the, the success with Matchmasters. Yeah. Um, and obviously like we still have like aspirations to make Matchmasters like three or four times or five times bigger than it is today. Um, so uh, I would say in, in, in six years, we'd like to have like Matchmasters is like a hugely successful game, like in top 10 grossing, uh, and, and another two or three games that are somewhere in the top 20 or 30 games. Heck yeah. Well, that sounds awesome. And, uh, you'll all be rolling in the dividends, you know, when that, when that happens, which <laughs> I'm sure will be awesome as well. Well, amazing. This has been a fantastic conversation. Gal, thank you so much for joining me today. And I can't wait to see where Candyvore goes from here. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.